And then if you have any questions, you can reach out to me. We can talk afterwards. You can uh, text or call me. You can come to community groups. We can discuss it there. Uh, if you don't have my number, I'll be freely give it to you so you can communicate later in the week to, to answer these questions. But I'm going to seek to answer this in the best way possible. But I think that it would do us injustice to ignore the fact that it has to participate in the, the freeness of man as well. And so we're going to look at all that together. And what we're going to do, which is abnormal for us, we're going to look at about 15 different verses. And I'm going to try my best to explain them, uh, but I won't be able to hit the high notes on all of them. Okay? So we're going to begin this morning with the God who knew. All right? The God who knew. But I know we've prayed a lot, and I think that's a wonderful and great thing. But we're going to pray again. Uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to pray that God would be with us as we seek to know and understand these things. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this. God, we thank you for your word. And I pray now that as I walk through it and trying to explain this in the best of my ability, God, one, you would empower me to do so. And two, you would empower us as listeners to not come at this with a preconceived idea, but rather we would let your word mold and create us into being who you desire for us to be and to understand what you want us to be. And God, at the end of the day, my prayer would be very simply is that we would understand that you're an omnipotent and sovereign God that is in control of all things and knows all things because you decreed all things before the foundation of the world. Father, this does not cause us to be lazy or apathetic, God, but this causes us to find much joy and hope in knowing that we do not work in vain. We love you and we praise you in your son's holy name. Amen. First and foremost, the God who knew. We're going to read Acts chapter 2, 23 to begin with. And this is a verse that we actually preach through. Uh, but as Acts chapter 2, verse 23, it says this. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. This is one of the opening lines of Peter's, well, this is not opening line. This is one of the lines in Peter's sermons on the day of Pentecost uh, and in response of that. So he's preaching this, and he's in this sermon about who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and what has empowered them by the work of the Spirit. He's unfolding this to a group of individuals. Listen to the words he says in declaring how Jesus died. In this, we see a perfect picture of God's knowing and knowledge and decreeing along with the free act of man. Okay, So it says this, In Jesus... Delivered up according to the definite plan. The foreknowledge of God. So God knew before the foundation of the world is what I would argue. Because this was the definite plan. And we can look at Ephesians and we very well will most likely in just a moment. The definite plan of God and the foreknowledge of God. He offered up Jesus. This is a miraculous thing because when you look into the Old Testament scripture. We certainly see this to be the case. In Isaiah alone, we see this implementation of dying upon a tree that would be cursed. Or at the day and time in which Isaiah writes this, this was not a practice of the government to kill anybody. They stoned him. But we see thousands of years later, how does Jesus die? By that upon a cross, which is that of a tree. So God is delivering his definite plan by his foreknowledge that Jesus would die, but we not only see that this is what's causing it to unfold, but see, we see the participation of man in this act. He says, you crucified and killed him by the hand of lawless men. That God certainly desired 
for Jesus to be the redemption of people. Before the foundation of the world, he knew Adam and Eve would sin. Therefore, they would need to be redeemed. And the way in which they were redeemed was his own son dying on the cross. But man was involved in the actually murdering of Jesus because God is not the author or work of evil. We also see it says in the hands of lawless men. Men that had no desire to do what was right in that moment. Lawless. So we see first and foremost, this one idea of the definite and full knowledge of God. But Romans chapter 8, 29 through 30, we see some different aspects. It says, for those whom he foreknew. Now, this is where we're going to get into this word predestination. And we're going to get into this idea of salvation being predestined before the foundation of the world. And what I would argue there is very simply that is that God knew before the foundation of the world whom was going to be saved because God knows all things. God not only knows all things, but he's decreeing and working out his perfect will because he is God. Now, that's an overly simplification of this doctrine of predestination. But regardless of what you want to do with it or not, I want you to notice in Romans chapter 8, 29 through 30, it says this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be confirmed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. We're going to pause there because this is a progression of salvation that begins with the predestination of individuals to come to know Jesus. And those who were coming to know Jesus, God called and who God called was justified and who God justified is glorified. Okay. When we look at this, we have to do something with the words there. Because no matter what translation you go to, you're either going to see the same exact words, predestined, foreknew, or any of those words, or you're going to see very similar words. I'm not going to sit here and argue my belief on what that would be, but I would simply say this, is you have to do something with that. And I would argue that the something with that is simply that God is a God that knows all things, that knew all things and decrees all things. So therefore, God clearly and must know whom would be saved. Because if man was in complete control of who was saved and was not saved, what I mean by that is if one can completely choose God or not choose God, or if I am in control of another person coming to know Christ by sharing the gospel with them, and then I'm accountable to that to, some, to the furthest extent of that knowledge, then, then the individual who can reject God or me who can reject to do the work of God is more powerful than God himself. And what I would argue very plainly is that God is the God who knew because he is God. If we take away the creation of God, he is not God. If we take away the revelation of God, he is not God. If we take, on, take away the immutability, the unchanging nature of God, he is not God. And if we take away the nature of God being omniscient, meaning that he knew, knows, and decrees, then he is simply not God. So often we have such a low view of the high nature of God that we place ourselves higher than God. And the number one way we do that is in the conversation of that of salvation. When bad things happen in our life, we say God had a plan. 
when difficult seasons occur, we trust God to deliver us from it. And if he doesn't, then the end of the conversation would be God was doing something. The same in salvation. Romans 11, 2 says, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel. This is just another support we're seeing that the foreknew, the past knowledge of God, the knowledge of God before the foundation of the world. And so in this, the God who knew, we can focus so much on salvation. And I think rightly that falls into that category. But simply put, God knows all things and he knew it from the foundation of the world. That in the foreknowledge of God, he knew everything that would happen. We're going to see in a little bit why that's the case. But we're also going to see that he's also the God who knows. And this is a very similar thought process. But follow me here. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 22, he says, He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. Hebrews 4, 3, For we who have believed enter into rest, as he said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And then Psalms 139, verse 6, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain. Oftentimes in Scripture, we're going to go back to Daniel chapter 2. says he reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what the darkness and the light dwells with him. Oftentimes in Scripture, we see the word light and dark. We see uh, that in two ways most of the time. We see it, one, in morality, that good things are light and bad things are dark. But we also see it in knowledge, and we see it in, uh, not ignorance, but we see it in the lack of knowledge, okay? So the knowledgeable one would be that of light, and the unknowledgeable one would be that of darkness. And it's the same with morality. The morality is just a byproduct of understanding that all things are in the light of God. And very simply put, if I cut off all the lights, it would still be bright in here, right? But if we went into a closet back there that had no windows and we cut off all the lights and you closed your eyes as you walked in there and I told you after I cut the lights off, now open your eyes and tell me what is in the room. Could anyone tell me exactly what is in the room? No, right? You walked in there dark. You didn't see anything in the room and it was dark when you got in your room. Now your eyes may adjust a little bit from some light coming into the room, but really you wouldn't be able to tell me everything that was in the room. But if I cut on the light and you saw everything, then you would be able to acknowledge what was in the room. The light reveals the the knowledge of the the room itself. This is the same thing with God. It's when he's using this scripture himself, he says he knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. That all things is come to light. He knows all things. It is not dark to him. It is reality to him. God knows all things. But not only does he know all things, but because he knows all things, we see two byproducts in the other two verses I've seen. And this is where I'm going to pause and try to get a little more application based for us here. It's because God knew all things and knows all things. It is wonderful news to us. It is fantastic news to us. Look at Hebrews 4, 3 again. It's just for we who have believed entered that rest. This is the same rest that we talked about in Matthew 11. We entered that rest. And he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. 
What he's talking about here is those who would not enter his rest, those who would not trust in him, those who would not believe in him. Hebrews 4 is the book of faith. Those who would not have faith in him would not enter into the rest of God. But those who enter the rest of God, those who trust in the knowledge of God and the revelation of God and God himself enter the rest of God. Why is that good news in the topic of the knowledge of God? It's because we can plan our days. Like most of you probably know what you're going to do when this day comes to a progression. Like when you leave here, in the back of your mind, you probably have an idea of what you're going to do. Like Caleb in the back, this Caleb, not that Caleb, this Caleb, most likely is going to go get some lunch, go see his dog, take it for a walk, unless his wife's in town. I don't know if she's in town or not. But that's probably what he's going to do for the day. Maybe do some scheduling and all of those things, right? Like for me, I'm going to go home and paint. What I want to do is go home and nap, but I'm going to go home and paint. But we, those are little things. Well, what about 15, 20 years down the road? How do we enter a rest of what's to come if we don't know what is to come? Like, for example, I have four kids, one on the way, as most of you know about now. One of my four have come to know Christ and salvation. The other three hasn't. My prayer for them each and every day is that as they get older, God will teach them much of their sin and even more of his grace. How am I to know that God is actually going to do that for them. I don't. I can teach them. I can, they can be a part of you and have other men and women pour into their life as you enter my home and as you come to church here. But how am I to know that God is actually going to do that? Or Sarah and I was having this conversation and our oldest, Tania, she'll be 15 next year. I'm 30. I should not have a 15-year-old, okay? But I do. And then we're talking about her, maybe even, she's not here, so I'm going to be very open about this. We're talking about her having the ability to add Boise's number to her phone when she turns 15. That scares me to death. And then when she turns 16, she's going to start driving. And so that scares me to death because she doesn't pay attention when she walks up the stairs. So how do I know she's going to pay attention when she's driving a car down the neighborhood? And you, those that's been in my neighborhood, there's a lake at the end of the road that I'm afraid that she's going to drive into. I mean, just going to throw it out there. How do I rest in the uncertainty of life if I don't know what's going to happen? Because I am a control freak at heart. It's because God knows. And God knows greater than I. And God is a father that is better than I. God is going to take care of Tania. God is going to redeem my children. God can be rested in because God knew and he knows. The third scripture, I think, is another application of goodness for us. Psalms 139, 6 says, Such knowledge, knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, and I cannot attain it. We can't. We don't have a foreknowledge like God. We don't know all things. I don't know what any of you are thinking about right now. Some of you may be listening. Some may desire whatever food you're going to be eating afterwards. Or some may think that maybe he should cut his hair or something of that nature. I don't know what's going through your mind, but that's okay. I don't have to know what's going on in the room at all times. I don't know what's in the heart of anyone else but myself. And even scripture tells us I don't even know the depth of my own sinfulness. But God does. 
is too high for us to obtain and to understand. So that then leads us back to Hebrews 4, 3, where you rest in the knowledge of God. We can look at the doctrine of God knowing and new and knowing. We can look at his omniscience and we can reject that or we can balk at it and desire not to, to hold on to God being completely knowledgeable and completely sovereign over all things, even salvation. We can balk at that reality or... We can look at Scripture and see that God is God, so therefore God knows all things. And in doing that, what we can then do is say, that is good news for us. Because I can rest in the God who knows. If God did not know, there would be no rest. The last thing we're going to look at, and I want to go a little more in depth than this, because the decreeing of God is important for us because it declares to us how God knew and knows. Because, uh, and I'm not going to touch on this. This is more of an objection. I'm going to try to briefly explain it. There's a third way in which some people would argue that God knows. And it's referred to as middle knowledge. And it would be that God knows because God looks down the corridors of time to understand what was going to happen. So therefore, there's a middle knowledge of God in knowing because he could see forward rather than knowing what was happening in the moment. Um, does anybody like Marvel movies at all? I know Nick does, but has anybody else seen Endgame? The second, I don't know what the first one's called, but the one where, if you haven't seen the movie, I'm about to give you a spoil. This one, uh, uh, Iron Man dies at the end, right? That one. Uh, it may have been at that one or the other one. I'm not sure. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, there's a moment where Spider-Man and Doctor Strange and all these other people, I don't remember who's all there now, they're like on this planet in the middle of nowhere and it's destroyed. Their, their spaceship's gone. I don't remember what all that happened. But in all of this moment, Dr. Strange does his little magical hand thing where he looks forward into the future and he says there's a, a billion possibilities. I don't know what he says. He says, but there's only one outcome in which we can win. Does anybody that resonate with anybody in the room? God is not that. God doesn't look forward into time to see the only possibility that his perfect will would unfold. God is a God who decrees to unfold his will. He doesn't look forward to understand. He understands because he is the one who is planning. A guy named A.W. Pink kind of explains it this way. He says, the decrees of God relate to all future things without exception. Whatever is done in time was foreordained before the time began. God's purpose was concerned with everything, whether great or small, whether good or evil. Although with reference to the latter, we must be careful to state that while God is the orderer and controller of sin, he is not the author of it in the same way in which he is the author of good. Sin cannot proceed from, his holy, from a holy God by positive and direct creation, but only in uh, decorative permission and negative action. God is not the author of evil is what he's getting at the end of that. But he, what he's referring to here is God is the one that has foreordained. God is the one that has decreed all things to be the case. Psalms chapter 2 verse 7 says this. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. This is referring to a messianic prophetic moment in Psalms. But what does he say here? 
the beginning of it. He says, I will tell of what the decree, the decree of God. He's saying, I'm going to tell of the decree. And what is the decree? The Lord said to me, that is the decree. God is a God who decrees. God is a God who says. God is a God who does. God is a God who plans and wills and desires. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 11 says this was according to the internal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. That to the eternal purpose of God. What is the purpose of God? It's the decree of God. We're just looking at acronyms here. Not acronyms. Synonyms here of the word decree. Acts 2.3. No, we'll just skip that one. Ephesians 1.9. Make it known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purposes, which He set forth in Christ. The mystery of His will. That's a fantastic way to say this. Because the mystery of God's will is unknown to us, and we can't comprehend how there's a God who knows, knew, and decrees. We can't do that because our knowledge is so limited. Ephesians 1.9 says, uh, I'm sorry, I read that already. Ephesians 1.11. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God is a God who works all things according to his counsel of his will. He decrees, he desires, he wills. It unfolds because God is the one doing it. Now, so I was going to go in more in depth here because in, in the decrees of God, we see four different types of decrees that I think is helpful for us. The first one is the eternal decree. Now, I'm not going to get into this one as much as the other two because we've looked at this one as a church already, that God is a God of eternity. From eternity past, God has been. God did not begin to exist when creation existed. God is the one who created it all. And from eternity past, he has existed. He was and is and will always be. That God is an eternal God. And his decrees is an eternal God. God was not creator when he created. God was a creator before he created because he is an eternal God with that ability and will. God's decrees are eternal because God is eternal. The second one, though, is that God's decrees are wise. This is a hard concept because we would often separate knowledge and wisdom. We would say that somebody that is knowledgeable is someone that knows things. But I would say that often people that are wise are people that have learned things through life circumstances. God hasn't learned anything, but all of his decrees are the wisest decisions. The wisest decisions for the ultimate glory for him and good for those who love him. Psalms 104, 24 says it this way. 104, verse 24. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. What is the works of God? It's the decrees of God. It's the desire of God unfolding. And He does it in His wisdom. In His wisdom, He has made all of these things unfold. That God is not only a God who decrees from eternity past, but God is a God who has decrees that are wise, all wise. It's the best choices. That's a hard pill to swallow when you look at the evil things around us. For example, I mean, there's a lot of... 
ones that we can think of in the last few months and years just here in America alone. But we think of even the evil works of the Holocaust and Stalin and all these other things. How is God a good God if he allows evil things to occur? Can't answer that. Not completely, because in the reality of it all, is God is a God who limits individuals' evilness because we're depraved individuals that are sinful and fallen, but we're not totally depraved and we're not completely depraved in the sense that we're going to always do evil things to the worst that they could be done. God is a God who limits evil and God is a God who allows evil. How do we reconcile that? Is that we understand that God knows we don't. And so if God is allowing things that appear to us to be more evil than we would desire, and we ultimately have to swallow the pill and understand that God is a God who knows and we are people that don't. And I know that's an oversimplification for those that are intellects and want to push back. I get that. But at some point, we have to rightly understand who God is and who we are. But God is also a God who decrees and his decrees are free. Not free as in free parking or not free as in the free app, that, this free stuff you can get on the Chick-fil-A app. What I mean by free here is that he made the decrees on his own. It's kind of like uh, Aaron Single. Not trying to call you out on that, but he's is. So when you leave here, you're not going to consult anybody else about what you're going to do. You're just going to go and do what you want to do. When I leave here, I'm going to talk to Sarah. What do you want to do? She's pregnant. I can't just eat anywhere now, even though she hates when I make her make choices. I'm going to have to consult with her what I'm going to do, right? That's an oversimplification of what this really is. But God is a God that is God and therefore does not need to consult with anyone in the decrees in which he made. Isaiah 40 verses 13 through 14 says this. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him in knowledge and showed him with the way of understanding? Isaiah is writing this and he's doing it in a, um, in a contradictory, not contradictory, yeah, uh, yeah, contradictory way. He's not doing this as a genuine question. He's doing this as almost a sarcastic way. It's who was there. What is, how does God respond to Job in all of his pushback and the evil things that occurred in his life? He says, were you there when I formed the world? When I laid the sea and I told the sea to stop? Were you there when I put the sun in the stars in the sky? God is a God who is working in his free, free of consult of anyone. God does not decree based off of any other opinions or thoughts or, opinion or ideas. But rather, God's decrees are free from anyone else. That is great news for us. That is wonderful news for us. Because this may not be the most elegant way to say this, but we're dumb people that make dumb decisions. Right? We can... We can Realize that in our lives, that we make stupid decisions sometimes. God is a God that is not decreeing based off of completely our decisions, but free from all of that and was perfect for him to do. The last way in which God decrees is that his decrees are absolute and unconditional. Second Thessalonians 2.13 says, Lord, 
because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through the sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. What God desires is unconditional and it's absolute. We looked at that objection last week about God changing His mind. And I'm not going to go in depth there. But what we see in Scripture, uh, you can find it on the podcast app today uh, after I put it on there later, um, the answer to that question. But essentially, what we see in this is that God does not change His mind. God's decrees, God's will, God's desires is absolutely going to occur. There is no changing the plan of God. Because why? Very plainly and very simply, is because God is bigger and greater than us. God knows better. He knows more, infinitely more than we could ever know. God does not change His decrees based on the desires of His people. But there is one reality to all of this that we have to land on. It is that God is a God who decrees, but God also decrees the means to fulfill His will. And what I mean by that is very simply this. If I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if you've ever had the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody and they come to know Jesus, or if you share the gospel with somebody and then maybe five or ten other people share the gospel with them and then they come to know Jesus, whichever way it happened, you played a part in that. You, you worked in that. That's the means in which God was unfolding the salvation of that individual. God planned on saving that person, but the way in which he did it was the proclamation of his word through the people that shared it with him. We see this perfectly, and I know I'm probably overusing this example, but you see this perfectly in the life of Saul being blinded on the road to Damascus, being led into this guy's home in the middle of Damascus, where God reveals himself to Ananias, and God tells Ananias to go pray over Saul, and that as he comes to pray over Saul, he is redeemed and saved by God. Why did God not save Saul on the road to Damascus when Jesus himself appeared to him? Because God's means to save individuals is the proclamation of the gospel through individuals that believe and trust in Jesus. After the crucifixion of Christ, he certainly saved people when he was reigning earthly. God not only decrees the ends, but also the means. And that's where the landing point for us this morning would be. It's very simply this. I, without a doubt in my mind, I would say, as I've said multiple times already, God is the God who knew, knows, and decrees. What that very simply means is that before the foundation of the world, God knew exactly what was going to unfold. During the moments of life, he knows exactly what's happening. He's not surprised by either one of those. And it's because he is decreeing it to be the case. All right? And very plainly, it's because God is God. We can balk at it or we can accept it. I would say that it's easy to balk at it, but the reality is still going to be the same as God is still going to be God. And God is the God who creates. God is the God who reveals. God is the God who is immutable, meaning he does not change. God is a sovereign God. God is an all-knowing God. He's omniscient. God is a loving, a wrathful, a justifier. God is holy. God is pure. God is all of these things. And we can balk at the reality of who God is all we want to. But at the end of the day, God is still going to be God. 
but we're not. God knows I don't. God knew I didn't. God decrees I don't. God knew you didn't. God knows you don't. God decrees you do not. Why is that important to realize? He is God, we are not. Because He is God, He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy for us to sing to and to glorify because His magnificent work in saving people. But the heart of it is this. Why is that important for us as a people that make preaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, and making disciples so important in our lives? Why is it important as we teach on and push the idea of resting in Jesus so strongly? It's because God is a God who knows, knew, and decrees, and we are people who don't. Guess what? We share the gospel with anyone we encounter because we don't know who God's going to save. We proclaim the gospel regardless of the circumstances because we don't know what God is doing. But what we do know is that God, in the last moment of Jesus' life, as David will read in just a moment, Jesus told his disciples, and it's the same calling in our lives, it is to go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God knows we don't. God calls we to do that. God knows who he's saving. We don't know who he's saving. But what we do know is plain and clear in Scripture, it is our job to be the means in which God saves individuals. So therefore, we can rest in Jesus. What I mean by that in this context is very simply this. If God wants to save someone, He is God, He's going to. If He wants to use you and I to save that person, He's going to. So I don't have to have this great crafted speech to give this presentation to someone when I share the gospel with them. Certainly, I should be equipped to explain that God is perfect and holy and because he is without error, he is God, is a God that has to be justice. He has to display his justice, which means he has to judge the wicked hearts of men and women, which is terrible news because we are all sinful. From Adam and Eve, sin entered the world, and all of us are now sinful individuals that have rebelled against God, deserving the wrath of God. And because we deserve the wrath of God, if something does not change in our hearts and in our lives, then we're going to spend an eternity in hell away from God. But thankfully, and praise Him for sending His Son to die on the cross, to lay in a tomb, to rise again, conquering sin, death, and the grave, and being a perfect individual in His life, and raising again to offer salvation for all who would believe and trust in Him. Certainly, I have to know that to share that. But I don't have to be perfect in sharing the gospel. When you show your, your rear end at Lowe's because they won't take your return. Yes, it's getting personal. Um, And then you have to ask for forgiveness because you were a jerk and they did not deserve you being a jerk. You can rest in knowing that you can do what you can do to make it right and who Christ is. The reality here is God knows. God knows. There's no doubt in my mind. We don't. So we do what he's called us to do, and we rest in him doing the work in the life of those around us.
He knows we don't. We share anyway. We trust in Jesus to do the saving. Same with discipleship. Same with ministering to individuals. All the same. We don't know, but God does. And so we trust God to do what God's going to do while we actively work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Let's pray together.